Good morning. We are really close this morning, aren't we? We're going to try and get you closer and closer and closer. Have you ever seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the first one? I always thought it was so cozy when all the, uh, I didn't realize that they were poor, but when the, the grandparents slept in the same bed foot to foot, that looked so cozy to me as a kid. Some of you are like, no, I prefer Castaway. Yeah, oh, you live that, yeah, because we have kids. So now, uh, I, yeah, Kathleen just said, she said she lives that. Now it's the same thing for my home. We have two children, Stephanie. I sleep on this little edge, of, just not, I'm not kidding, on the edge of the bed. The, the bed is one of those memory foam mattresses, so the edge of the bed now perfectly conforms to my body, so I won't fall off of it. The dog, our 61-pound dog, sleeps at the sneaks on every night in the middle of the night. So now we have babies kicking us all night and a dog at, the, at our feet. So that's a uh, good thing we bought a king-size bed. How do you like our gym? Yeah. <laughs> we worked really hard. I wanted to just say thank you to David Chase and David Reed. who helped me uh, plan this event, and Denise Rowe, uh, who also has helped. Where's Denise? Denise? You two are just hiding back there. Denise, too. Here up Denise. So many others who built these games and, and worked hard on these games to make a, a special event for our church. Um, thank you for, for your support. I know we're going to have a good turnout tonight, and we're eager to, to see everyone out. Um, how do you like our Plinko board? That was homemade, y'all. We built that. That was uh, designed that David Reed and I put together, and we David built most of it. I'm not good with that stuff. I told him what I wanted, and he always just kind of goes, all right, we'll try. And uh, we put that together and really worked hard. So we're excited about tonight. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verse 3. It says this. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Would you pray with me this morning? Jesus, we belong to you. We no longer belong to ourselves. The world that we live in teaches our young people and tells us all of the time that we can do what makes us happy. We have to reject that false teaching as the diabolical teaching that it is. Because Jesus, you said, whether we live or whether we die, we belong to you. As such, Jesus, you tell us lovingly and compassionately, like a father who cares for his children, like one who protects his children from harm and hurt and danger, you tell us to flee sexual lust. You tell us that sexual impurity, even covetousness, even our heart, is not to be named among your people. Not even a hint of it. Not even in joking. Not even in our thoughts. Not in our viewing. Especially not in our activity. But that your people are to be a pure people. Lord, this is such a great sin for this country today. We have rebelled against you in a great way, in the way of sex, in the way of our marriages. We have rejected what you taught us about sex. We have rejected what you taught us about marriage. Or those of us who have not rejected it in word are guilty of rejecting it in thought. 
So many of us do not control our thought lives, thinking that we can keep it hidden from the world and that in doing so we keep it hidden from you and that we don't hurt anybody but ourselves. But the truth is, Jesus, you told us that the ones who are guilty of adultery in the heart will also be liable to judgment. Jesus, you make no difference between adultery on the outside and adultery on the inside. You make no difference between the act of sex outside, the actual literal act of sex versus the thought. In doing so, Lord, there's probably not a person in here who can say that we are completely sexually pure. We have made a mockery of this teaching. We reserve white dresses for girls, white tuxedos and white shirts for men to prove our purity. And though we may not have committed sex in the act before marriage, we are guilty of it in our thoughts. And to you, Jesus, that matters. Lord, I pray for repentance. This is a great teaching that you have for us today. I pray for repentance in this. I pray that we would stop our lusting today, that we would get our thoughts and our hearts under control, that we would put them in submission to you, and that we would submit to your plan for human sexuality and not give in to the world's because the world's plan for sexuality leads to death. As your word says, sexuality is a sin unlike any other, for it is a sin against our very own bodies. Lord, help us to see this great teaching this morning for the serious thing that it is and to apply it in our lives. I pray that we would change. I pray that homes would change today. I pray that grace would be shown where confession is needed. I pray that repentance would happen. Lord, we are committed as a church to build Christian homes, but that starts by changing our thought patterns. Lord, let us be clean from the inside. Purify our hearts. Purify us on the inside. Let us clean the inside of the cup so that the outside might also be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Christians are naive about sex. Today, that's true. And we have to just admit it. We don't want to talk about sex because it's embarrassing or we don't want to believe that it's something we should talk about or don't believe that it's something we should talk about from the pulpit. We believe that's inappropriate. Albert Moeller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says this, Far too many evangelical pastors teach virtually nothing about a biblical understanding of human sexuality. This leaves much of the Bible unpreached and our congregations woefully untaught. Well, I might be unseasoned, but I'm certainly not going to leave the sex talk up to salt and pepper. We're going to talk about sex in this church. Why? Couldn't we just leave it alone? It makes us uncomfortable. When the sex commercials come on in the radio, we want to, in our car, we want to hide from our kids. And in our home, when it comes on on television, we quickly turn it off and we talk about sports. And the world teaches our kids about sex. The world teaches you about sex. Doubtless you go to your daily bread to learn about how to have a better sex life with your spouse. No, you go to Cosmo. Because Cosmo's not afraid to talk about it. But we're afraid to talk about it. The world is talking about sex. More importantly, the world is teaching our kids about sex. They learn about sex from sitcoms and movies and their music. And most dangerously, they learn about sex from pornography. And all the while, we're afraid to talk about sex because it might offend 
somebody. But Jesus talked about sex. In Matthew 5, 27 through 30, here's what Jesus taught. He said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is saying that the talk about sex is so important. It's of eternal weight. And if we get it wrong, we run the risk of our entire bodies being cast into hell. I want to read that one more time. Tell me if that's not what he said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, and this includes women looking at men, with lustful intent, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus says this is of eternal importance. I want to take this verse this morning and I want to unpack it and I want to explain what this means for us because this teaching unlike any other teaching is something that the church desperately needs to hear. Number one, Jesus teaches us that sexual immorality of any kind is a perversion of God's design. He begins by recalling the seventh commandment, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. Today, many would argue that even the basic axiom, even that basic axiom, that is a moral teaching, is outdated and prudish. Rampant fornication, cohabitation. What is fornication? Sex with someone who's not your spouse. Single people who are engaging in sex before marriage are guilty of fornication. Cohabitation, a devaluing of the marriage covenant. Today you hear people say all the time, we don't need a piece of paper to be married. And it's true, you don't need to be a, have a piece of paper to be married. If you were on a desert island, and it was just you and just one other person, just one male, one female, you could be married in the eyes of God so that the two of you have sworn an oath together to be with each other forevermore. But because we can't do that today, we have to bind ourselves by law so that we might be Kept held responsible should we fail to keep that covenant. We even have open marriages. An open marriage is a marriage where people allow their spouse to have sexual encounters with other people other than their husband or other than their wife. And they're more common than you think and been around a lot longer. And these are just some of the examples of how far our culture has missed the mark on even the most obvious command of Jesus, thou shalt not commit adultery. But the commandment not to commit adultery forbids all forms of sexual immorality, not just the breaking of the marriage vow. Here's what God has done. He has designed sexual relations to be enjoyed within the bonds of marriage and only there. As C.S. Lewis put it, chastity is the most 
unpopular of the Christian virtues, but there's no getting around it. The rule for Christians is this, either marriage, and by marriage he means one man and one woman, for those progressives. He means one man and one woman. It is either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. Let me read that again because I have been shocked by how many people miss this point. The Christian rule on sexuality is this. Either marriage with complete faithfulness to your partner or else total abstinence. I remember I brought in a, when I used to mentor, there was a group of guys that I would mentor, the young guys, and I remember I was asking them, so, so what are your plans? How are you guys preparing for, for your marriage right now? What, what things are you doing in your life to you know, prepare your finances and to prepare your mind to be men of the home. And, and I remember they all laughed. That's happened on more occasions than one. And they all claimed to be Christian. And I said, well, why do you find that funny? Uh, they said, because Mr. Summers, marriage isn't for us. We don't want to get married. Well, I'm shrewd enough to know what a young hormonal teenager thinks. And I said, so then you're all open to being celibate for the rest of your life? To which they all said, well, what does celibate mean? And then after I explained to them what celibate meant, they said, no. Now, when I've got a room of teenage boys, it's at that time that I have to wonder, why aren't the parents teaching this? Why are they, why are they dumbfounded at this thought? that the Christian ethic on sexuality is either marriage in monogamy or total abstinence. Why, they're shocked by that. How have we failed to communicate this? I am shocked by that. But this is what God has commanded. Whether the Bible forbids in line item all of the sexual acts that it needs to forbid is irrelevant. Here is what God did and what God said. In Genesis 2.18 and 21 through 22, here's what God said. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper who is fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Now, he didn't take four ribs from Adam and bring him four wives. He did not take a rib from Adam and make another Adam. Instead, he made a woman to be fit for him. And do I need to show a picture of the anatomy of the body to prove what the word fit obviously means? You say, I don't, don't talk about that. We have children in here. Let them learn about sex from TV, but not church. And so God's design was one man. And one woman, you say, did they have a marriage? Did they have a reception? No, God brought her to him, and they were married. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 2 says this, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, at least the, the one good thing about the Corinthian church is they were concerned about sex and wanted an answer from a Christian. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, Here's what Paul says. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now he is responding to a form of asceticism. Asceticism is denying yourself earthly pleasures. And he's saying, listen, there are some false teachers there. They're teaching that you should, you should be ascetic, that you should deny yourself earthly pleasures. 
And, and that's good in and of itself, but it's not a rule for the church. You don't have to follow that. Here's what he says. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Because we are tempted by sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. In other words, in order to not commit sexual immorality, what must we do? What must we do? Get married. Get married. That's what Paul taught. We live in a day and age where people are told, no, 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 wait till you're in your 40s to get married. I've even heard Christians say that. I had a Christian tell me when Stephanie and I were getting married, she was 20, I was 24, they said, you're too young to get married. You two need to experience your life. I said, you know, I don't know that we're too young, but we're, we're going to go ahead and get married anyway. And the person said, do you really think that you're ready? I said, well, I don't know. How did you know? This is a Christian, by the way. I said, I don't know. How did you know when you were ready for marriage? Here's what they said to me. Well, my, my, me and my boyfriend lived together for four years and had several children before we got married. So we were sure that we were right for each other. Wrong way to do it! And wrong for you to teach a young person to go and do likewise. That is sin. I'm sorry, am I scaring Veronica? Now I see why you guys sit in the back. It is wrong for you to teach young people that. And I'm not saying go and perform young marriages. I'm saying it's wrong for you to teach young people to cohabitate and enjoy the pleasures of sex without first the covenant of marriage. Because Paul says, because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each wife her own husband. God made woman for man and man for woman says Genesis, and that within the confines of marriage, says Paul. And in the confines of marriage, sex is beautiful. It is permissible. It is enjoyable. And it is blessed. So therefore, whatever sexual act occurs outside of the bonds of matrimony is considered sexually immoral and sinful in the guise of God, eyes of God. And all God's people said, Amen. thank you. Let's talk a little bit further. Because some of us might not be committing it in an act. We might just be committing it in our thoughts. Sexual immorality, number two, sexual immorality includes our thought life. But, says Jesus, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, that's the qualifier there. He's not saying that men can't look at women. He is saying with lustful intent, have already committed adultery with her in his heart. The Pharisees were once again teaching that all you had to do is abstain from adultery on the outside, but inside it didn't matter, just so long as you didn't embarrass the Israelites. But Jesus now teaches a fuller meaning of the seventh commandment as including our thought life as well as our sex life. And this wasn't a new teaching. In Job 31, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a woman in lust. He knew already that the breach, the breach of the seventh commandment started with a lustful look and a desire of lust in our hearts. But this command is not for men only. It includes women as well. Perhaps Jesus knew that men were more guilty of a lustful look and are often appealed and sexual arousal starts with the eyes for many men. But women can also commit this same sin. But the command goes beyond the confines of marriage as well. This isn't only for married people but for single and unmarried people as well. And it excludes lusting 
for everyone. In fact, that's exactly what verse 28 says. Jesus says, everyone who looks at a woman with lust one tent, or man, is guilty of this sin. The unmarried male or female who lusts after another person has broken the seventh commandment. Well, let's talk about this in our day. The proliferation of free pornography has been fueled by the phenomenon of the internet. David Capellian, the author of The Marketing of Evil Called Online Porn, the crack cocaine of pornography because it's immediately accessible, almost totally anonymous, inexpensive, and highly addictive. Read that again. Pornography is the crack cocaine of the internet because it is immediately accessible, almost totally anonymous, inexpensive, and highly addictive. But we don't have just the internet today. We have smartphones. And they have made pornography even more accessible before and even more anonymous than before. When I was a kid, if you wanted to get a dirty magazine, you'd have to sit on your friend's shoulders. One, two, three. Put a trench coat around you, a mustache, glasses, and a top hat, and walk down to the store, and they might give you a magazine. Now, they pull out a phone, and they maybe mistakenly press a button, and they get free porn. And it's gone like that. Boys are most affected, but a rising number of girls proves that females, too, are also susceptible to porn addiction. The Southern Baptist Convention recently in their paper published an article citing the facts on porn addiction among our teenagers. Listen to these numbers. Six out of ten girls are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. And nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before the age of 18. That means 90% of the young people in here who are male have seen pornography already. Yes, your son. Even the pastor's son saw it before the age of 18. 9% of girls and 15% of boys have seen child pornography. 18% of girls and 32% of boys have seen bestiality online. 32% of boys have seen bestiality online. That is sex with animals. You guys didn't know that? <laughs> I better start defining these words. I don't need to define sex, right? Okay. 23% of girls and 39% of boys have seen sexual bondage online. And we worry about what's causing rape in this country? Four out of 10 boys have seen sexual bondage? And then they wonder what to do when a girl tells them no. Oh, but she really means yes, because that's what they learned from the movies. 57% of girls and 83% of boys have seen group sex online. 55% of girls and 69% of boys have seen same-sex intercourse online. 28% of 16 to 17-year-old girls have been unintentionally exposed to porn online. That means they go on Google and they click something, everything, by the way, on the internet has been sex. They go on and they innocently put something in the URL and they click search and automatically they're getting something sexed. The first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old on average. 71% of teens hide online behavior from their parents. Easy way to do it, on their cell phones. 20% of 16-year-olds and 30% of 17-year-olds have received a sext, that is a text message with explicit content from one of their peers. Which, by the way, if you're underage, is child pornography. Folks, 
It's everywhere. And we're not talking about it. And it's devouring our children and our marriages and our homes because we're embarrassed. So what do we do? Well, here's what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Here's what we do. Sexual immorality requires us to take drastic measures to prevent. We take drastic measures to prevent sexual immorality. Only if we care about it. Only if we see that it is this eternal matter that Jesus says. Perhaps it's at this moment that we jump off the Christian boat. And we say, I was with you when you said love thy neighbor. But when you started telling, I actually had a man tell me this one day. He said, I enjoyed every message your father preached until, this is the honest of God truth. He said, I enjoyed every message your father preached until he said you couldn't look at porn. That was it for me. Honest to God truth. If I'm lying, I'm dying. He said, I can't go with that Jesus. Well, real believers go with this Jesus. Number one, what do we do? We flee temptation. I'm going to give you four things you can do to take drastic measures to flee from sexual immorality. Number one, you flee temptation. I had a friend at, at my seminary who once said, I, I asked him if he had ever been to it. He was a Dolphins fan, and I'm a Dolphins fan, and we were in Louisville, and he wasn't from Miami. A lot of Dolphins fans who aren't from Miami. And I said, have you ever been to a game? I said, there, there's a lot of drunks, they're crazy, but you know, have you ever gone to a game? You know, try and go one time. He said, you know what? I really don't go to sporting events. I said, why? why? Why don't you go to sporting events? He said, I'll tell you this. He said, I used to be addicted to pornography, and I struggle when I see the cheerleaders come out, and they're dressed in those clothes. I struggle to look. So I just don't go all together. That, I know some of us are thinking that's ridiculous, but that is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, pluck out your eyes. Cut off your feet, he says in another place, and cut off your hands. Not literally pluck out your eyes, not literally cut off your hands, not literally cut off your feet, but be careful, little eyes, what you see, for your Father up above is looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. He did not want to open up those floodgates. And so he said, I'm not going. Now, some of us can go and it not affect us. But for him, it couldn't. In fact, Jesus asked this. He begins by saying, if your eye causes you to sin. For him, his eye caused him to sin. So we took drastic measures not to go. This means that you don't ask the question, how close can I get to the line without God being angry about my sin? And rather ask the question, how far can I get away from the line of temptation without ever falling into it? So many of us don't have the healthy fear of ourselves that we should have. We think Bobby's a good Christian boy and Susie's a good Christian girl and they can go out and they can be together and they can be alone and nothing will ever happen. Fools! Jesus said, take drastic measures to flee temptation. You think of the story of Joseph for just a moment. The Bible says Potiphar's wife is very beautiful. And when she went after Joseph, who was handsome and appealing to the eye, when she went after him, what did he do? Did he stay and say, no, baby, you know I can't do that, girl. You know, you're my boy's girl, you know? I can't do that, girl. He saw how fine she was, and he went, no! And he ran, the Bible says. 
Amen. He ran. No, you don't have to pluck out your eye. But you do have to mind the things you look at. And you have to flee it, and you have to do so quickly. It means when AT&T tells you they'll give you all the channels for free, if you'll sign up for a two-year plan, you tell them don't give me anything with pornography on it. Because you don't know how quickly that can get you. When I was in school, every year one of my classmates would ask the question of oral sex. They'd always say, is oral sex, is that sin? The question was actually asking, how far can I go with my boyfriend or my girlfriend without committing sin? That's what they were essentially asking. And it's a good question. But we need to be able to respond by explaining why those sexual urges, when left unfettered, actually lead to great health problems. Have you not heard of the rise of STDs in this country? Syphilis and gonorrhea, HIV are on the rise. And health clinics are calling this the Tinder effect. Tinder is essentially a hookup app. Oh, I'm sure you can meet a couple friends and just play parcheesy at the park. But I've seen the app. And I've seen what the girls are selling and what the boys are selling, and it ain't a fun night at the park over Parcheesi and Yahtzee. They're selling sex. When the girl takes the picture like this, <laughs> if she's not wearing any clothes, she does not want to hang out with you. She wants to hook up with you. It is essentially exactly what Proverbs talked about with the woman who calls from her front door. Now they call from their phone. And boys do the same. Talk about the marital problems that adultery and lust can lead to. Talk about the homes that are ruined by addiction to porn. Talk about the fact that the man who was unfaithful before his marriage probably highly probably will not be faithful after his marriage. Talk about what it's like when the little boys and the little girls are standing there asking their mom, why is daddy gone? And you can't know that, young people. You can't know that until you have your children and you look them in their eyes and they say, I love you. What harm you would bring by your addiction to pornography, by your unfettered lust, and by your unfettered sexuality. Talk about the societal problems, like abortion. How many children have been victims? I said children because I don't use the word fetus. Because the Bible tells us that life begins at conception. And women, by and large, one out of every 100, uses abortion for the safety of the mother. The other 99 are for convenience. Talk about that. That the answer to unfettered sexuality is not taking the life of innocent children, but getting our sex lives under control. Teach your children about the spiritual problems, namely the rejection of God. To live this way is not to say, I am going to do what I want to do. It is to say, I am going to do what I want to do and not what God has called me to do. I heard of a young man who went to his pastor and he said to him, I don't believe in God anymore. And the pastor, being smart, looked at the young man and said, how long have you been sleeping with your girlfriend? We reject God. The, the most obvious thing about anything is that God exists. Do you think this is an accident that I'm just mad at emotion having a conversation with you and you're perceiving and understanding it? No, it's obvious that God exists. But because of our willingness and our want and our desire for unfettered sin, we reject God. That's what Paul said. 
They reject God because of the wickedness. They suppress Him. Talk about seriously fleeing temptation. The second thing we can do to avoid and to take sexual immorality seriously is fill our minds with purity. Paul said to the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. A church father, Origen, took Jesus' commands, literally here, and had himself made a eunuch. He castrated himself. One R&B singer, his name was Houston, when came under conviction of the Sermon of the Mount, literally took a pencil and tried to gouge out his eye. The problem with both of those is that they're only the gateway. The real issue is the heart. What did Jesus say? It is the heart that is the problem. The look of lust which leads to the heart. They have committed adultery in their heart. Blind torsos can commit lust in their heart. They can covet another's flesh without ever seeing it. Without ever touching it. Our minds are the place where lust occurs. It's not our eyes. We lust when we allow ourselves to contemplate those sexual fantasies with the things we take in. You can live life eyeless, handless, and footless and still be guilty of lust in your heart. So then don't lead yourself then into temptation. Be careful with the media you consume. The places where you go. The conversations that you have, all of these can become erotic and tempting, which can lead you to commit this grave sin. Third, take this seriously. Jesus is not to be taken literally here with the cutting off of hands and gouging out of eyes, but he is to be taken seriously. It's not literal, but it is serious. Lust leads us to break the vows we've made in our hearts. Young person, single person, married person, right now begin to guard your marriages by protecting your hearts against lust. I've seen a many young person who got married disappointed with their sex life because they thought their wife was that object they'd been watching on the porn for so long. They didn't expect her to have a mind of her own. After all, when they watch it, she never says a word. Most of the time it's muted because they don't want their parents to hear it. As we just learned, 80% of young people hide this from their parents. And so the only, the, the only interaction that they're having with a woman in sex is silence and she's nothing there, nothing other than an object for sexual pleasure for men. That's it. And you take that into a marriage and it'll destroy your marriage. Young person, listen to me right now. When the world, the unbelieving, God-forsaking world is picking up on the disaster that porn can bring to your marriage, don't you allow them to do it and you not. Time Magazine recently published an article on just how dangerous the pornography can be to a marriage. Because what ends up happening is the dopamine, which is its highest in youth, which is the, the, the chemical in the brain, it's a reward chemical, and whenever we get rewards, we like it and we increase that dopamine. The dopamine chemical is released the greatest when a boy, or a, especially a boy, perceives an image that's pornographic. In fact, to the point at which men would rather look at images than have sex with their wives. People say this all the time. How in the world could he, how could he do this? How could he be addicted to pornography? He's got a beautiful wife. 
Because the effect of the image is greater than the actual act. That's the lost world telling us that. And yet it's rampant in our churches. Begin to protect your marriages right now by ridding yourself of lust. Finally, finally, consider the eternal pleasures over the immediate and fleeting pleasures of sex. Jesus says it's better to lose an eye and a hand than to have your whole body cast into hell. How many marriages have been ruined by five minutes of pleasure? How many parent and child relationships have been lost because of infidelity? How many murders have happened because a man walked in and saw his wife sleeping with another man? Or because two people wanted to engage in an adulterous relationship and so they knew that the third person had to be out of it so they would kill him. But Jesus desires that we see eternity as infinitely greater over the fleeting pleasures of sex. Plato said that the thing that's closest to us always appears bigger than the thing that's further away. Sex always looks like right now is what I need. But eternity is great. And Jesus says, take this seriously. To fall into this is to fall into a grave sin. Before I would go on dates, my father would quote a poem to me. Every time I would go on a date, I'd go downstairs and... I'd see him sitting there, and he'd be studying, and very free, let me go out on dates, and uh, he would sit in his chair, and I'd say, I'm, I'm going out. I'll see you, I'm going on a date. Or I'd say, I'm going out. He'd say, where are you going? I said, I'm going on a date. Who are you going with? Which girl tonight? And I'd say, well, one of them. <laughs> and it was Stephanie, it was only that one. Trust me. And he'd just stay there, and he'd sit there and he'd say this, Okay, son, remember, this is the debt I paid just for one ride to stay. Years of regret and grief and sorrow without relief. And images of AIDS and STDs would come up in my head. Pay it, I will, to the end, until the grave, my friend, gives me true release, gives me the clasp of peace. And then he would say this one. Slight was the thing I bought, small was the debt I thought, poor was the loan at best, oh God, but the interest. Suffer, I will, my friend, till the end. Until the grave shall give release. He taught me that I could ruin my life. That I could begin to destroy my marriage by unfettered sexuality. Now here's the good news. If you're living in sin, we have a God who will forgive you of it. And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Sex before marriage is not the unforgivable sin. Go to God this moment and say, Father, forgive me. I have not made the covenant with my eyes, but I will this day forth. He will forgive you if we confess our sins. He's faithful. He's just. He will forgive us of our sins. And He will even, listen, cleanse you from your unrighteousness. No, the HIV doesn't go away. The babies you made don't magically disappear. The heartbreak that you brought to your family and friends didn't disappear either. But God forgives you. It is not the unforgivable sin. If you're in this life and you're addicted to pornography, you're committing sexual immorality, I want to invite you this morning to accept the forgiveness that Jesus is willing to give you right now. If you're a believer and you're tempted by sexual sin, I want to invite you to begin to flee from that lust.
and to take seriously the commands of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. You didn't come to ruin sex for us. You came to make sex beautiful and to make it a real part of our lives so that a, a, a part of our lives that when it's in the right context, it is beautiful. Lord, the world didn't think of sex. You thought of sex. It was your idea. You gave it to us and we're so grateful and we're so thankful to you for it. Lord God, you gave us fire to warm our homes too. But just like fire has to be kept in its proper place within the fireplace, lest it fall out on the floor and burn the whole house down, let us take the beautiful fire of our sexuality, protect it and guard it and keep it in its proper place so that we might enjoy this great gift you give us. Lord, I'm convinced that there are people in here right now that need to repent of their sin. They may not know what to do next. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide them into understanding, Lord, how serious this teaching is, and that it would guide them into knowing what steps to take right now to eradicate sexual immorality from their lives. God, purify this church. You love us and so you discipline us so that we might live life to its fullest, not that you might deprive us of anything. Thank you, God, for the good gifts you've given us. Let us then control and care for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with